Blog Talk Radio. Saturday, February 11th, 2017, and we're coming to your speakers live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm here with the one and only Cole Fouts, a.k.a. That King Cole 715 on the Twitter machine. How you doing, Cole? Great. He's a man of few words today, folks. Great. That's it. He's doing great. That's that's all he's got. You know, well, I've had kind of a exciting week this week. I recently became the newest member of com, joined their writing team, and it's something I'm pretty excited about. I came out with my first article this week about Super Bowl 51 and Tom Brady, and of course, we're going to talk a little more in depth about this a little later on in the show, but it, you know, I'm happy to announce that since its release, it's been by far the most popular article on the site. Yeah, Ben, it's it's been doing really well. It's been the most popular article. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so thank you to all of you who've checked out the article so far. And if you haven't checked it out yet, you can find it on, on cleekgeeks.com. Just go to www.cleekgeeks.com. Uh, no, no hyphens, no weird uh, things in there, just cleekgeeks.com. Or you can go to their Twitter account, which is at Cleek Geeks. Or you can find it uh, by going on our social media accounts, at Coach and Cole on Twitter, Coach and Cole on Facebook. And we've got a great team of writers there. They cover everything from college to the pros, MMA, boxing, wrestling. So there's a lot of content. So check them out. Check the site out. And there's more articles coming for me in the future. And remember, you can catch us on demand on iTunes and on TuneIn. After the show, please subscribe to us on whichever format you listen to the Coach and Cole show on. And we've got a huge show today, a lot to cover. We're going to talk about Super Bowl 51. We're going to talk about the NFL honors and awards, Jerry Krause's comments on Michael Jordan, how that kind of pertains to the whole LeBron situation we spoke on last week, Uh, the Charles Oakley situation. That's been big news, so we're going to talk on that. And then MLB... Uh, baseball is changing some rules and they've got uh, some ideas that they're going to try I think in spring training so we'll talk about that later on in the show as well and then what everybody's here for the results from round one of the quarterback greatest of all time listeners challenge and speaking of the challenge Cole did you know that 25 years ago to the day Brett Favre was traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Green Bay Packers. I did, because uh, uh, I'm reading it right now on the doc that we have before the show. I read it. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good answer. You know, Thank and you. the trade the trade almost was not a reality because doctors said Brett Favre at the time had had the same condition as Bo Jackson had, you know, where blood flow wasn't getting, getting to a certain joint. 
um, with Bo Jackson, it was his hip, but with Favre, I think it was a shoulder maybe. That sounds right. But it was the same condition, and a lot of teams were afraid of bringing Brett Favre in. But Ron Wolf wasn't. Him and the Packers pulled the trigger, and they may have executed the greatest trade in NFL history. So hmm. a little history for you folks out there. Yeah. But like I said, we got a lot to get to, so let's get right into the show. First, we're going to start with our game-by-game predictions. That's brought to you in part by FanDuel. We at the Coach and Cole Show have recently partnered with our friends at FanDuel who brought you our listeners-only contest, the first ever on FanDuel. we got to reword that, read because I, I stumble at that point every time. You typed it uh, for you. I, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we got to reword that. Next week, we're going to reword this, guys. Uh, anyway, they brought you the first ever guaranteed Coach and Cole Show contest on FanDuel. And if you've never tried FanDuel before, now is your chance to get in on the fun and support the Coach and Cole Show. Go to either our Facebook page or our Twitter feed and click the link that we have posted that will bring you to the FanDuel homepage where you can sign up. You only have to deposit a little as $10 to start, and depending on what contest you enter, you can double, triple, quadruple, or even quintuple that in one contest on FanDuel. And by clicking our link, we have provided... FanDuel will kick back a couple bucks to help us pay for bringing you this show free on a weekly basis. So if you've never tried FanDuel, folks, get over there and give them your $10, and hopefully you can buy Mommy a new car. Woohoo! Click that link. So this is a game-by-game prediction segment, and the only game we had left to predict was Super Bowl 51. That was the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots, as most of you, I'm sure, know. I went with Atlanta, and I predicted the score would be 34-21. to 21. And I'll tell you what, Cole. Mm. Uh, third quarter of that game, I was, I was sitting pretty high. I thought I had predicted this thing to a T. The score was lining up perfectly, and if Atlanta had scored on a certain drive that I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show, you know, there's a good chance that my score would have been pretty darn close. But you went with New England, and you said the score would be 27-24. You weren't too far off. The score was actually 34-28. to And so you were able to take down this little contest with a final record of 10-2. and Very nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I finished with nine and three. You know, so that's not too shabby, folks. You know, there's a reason we it's got this bad. show. Ten, ten and two, nine and three. You know, if we were betting men down in Vegas or offshore or something like a lot of you folks like to do, we'd be rich by now. And if you would, if you Probably. listen to us, if you listen to us, you're rich. So if you did listen to us and you bet on every single game in the playoffs based upon what we said on this show. Send us a tweet, you know, send us an email. Let us know how you did. <laughs> We'd like to hear about that. So Give us some of your yeah. money. Or, yeah, you, tips are appreciated. You know, we'll take mm-hmm. we'll take a tip or two, you know, not a problem. Oh, so, hey, congratulations there, Cole. Nice job on the playoff predictions there. Thanks. Really excited about it. Well, the other thing that you were leading – for most of the season was our calls of the week segment. And we kind of upped the stakes for the Super Bowl 
And we decided to do our calls of the week based upon four of our favorite prop bets from our friends down there in Las Vegas. And the first prop bet we went, and this is one that you and I usually look to every year, and that's the length of the national anthem. Luke Bryan sang the national anthem. The over-under was two minutes and nine seconds. I went under, you went over, and I ended up getting that one, the under. And it was very five close. Seconds. I think it was what? It, it was, yeah, it was close, about five seconds. Um, I've seen some, some people that had stopwatch or timed it, stopwatched it, that had timed it. It was even closer. But, yeah, it was real close. It ended up going under, so I ended up getting that one. And then we had a lot of discussion on the second one, which was how many times will Gronk or Gronkowski be said on the broadcast? Now, if you included commercials and pre-show, post-show, you would have ran away with this one because you went with the over. And we set the over under, me and you, at three and a half because three was the number set by Vegas. And we kind of discussed on the show that I thought three would be the number. So we moved it up to three and a half. So I took the under and he was only mentioned one time on the broadcast between uh, Joe Buck and Troy. So very interesting that he wasn't mentioned more, but that's the way she goes. So I got that one as well. Who will the eventual Super Bowl MVP thank first, which ended up being Tom Brady. Now he didn't thank anyone on the field, but when he had his press conference uh, for the Super Bowl MVP, he said, that he thanked uh, his teammates first. So I said, teammates, you thank God. You said, God, you thank God, maybe, I don't know. But you said God. And I, I kind of thought you were going to get that one. I mean, that's just a, a natural answer for a lot of these guys. And I thought you would get it. But, hey, I, I, I took a shot in the dark and got that one as well. And this just didn't go so hot for you as far as the calls of the week because then we went number four, the longest touchdown scored with an over-under of 50-and-a-half. And I just kind of thought, you know, with the fact that Deion Lewis was returning kicks and punts and then the high-powered offense of Atlanta, I thought 50-and-a-half would be no problem. And it turned out that it was an interception for a touchdown that ended up going over 50 yards in this game. And so I was able to get that because I said the over and you said the under. So after a season-long lead, I was able to actually take this thing down. So you know what? I want to give you props where props are due there, Cole. So up until the Super Bowl, you had this thing in the bag. You did pretty well throughout the season. And for the most part, our calls of the week were fantasy-related. But uh, I ended up taking this thing 6-3. to on the year because of a four, a four bagger on the cause of the week. Four, That's four insane. out of four for me. That is. We got yeah. a hot crowd. We've got a hot crowd. They're clapping away. So six to three is the final on that. And maybe we'll be able to pick up a new game with uh, another, you know, another, uh, I don't know, directive or another game that we could try because that was kind of a cool thing to do. So we'll see how it goes. But like I said, Cole, we have got a jam-packed show, so we're going to keep this thing moving, foot on the gas pedal. Our lead story of the week is, of course, Super Bowl 51. And, Cole, you uh, do you want to start this thing off with reading anything, or do we want to get right into the questions? 
Uh, let's just do the questions just because we have such a big show. I don't want to take up too much time reading stuff. Okay, sounds good. So what we're going to do here, folks, is we're going to – there's a series of questions that we've, we've asked uh, each other. And these are all pertaining to Super Bowl 51, our lead story of the week. So the, the first thing we want to talk about here is what was bigger, the New England comeback or the Atlanta collapse? What do you think, Cole? Uh, well, I, uh, I once read that in order to have a great comeback, the collapse has to be equal to it or greater than it. And I think in this case, the collapse was a bigger part of the story. Uh, without the opportunities giving, given to New England by Atlanta, this would be their third loss in the last four appearances for New England. Uh, granted, New England took exactly what was in front of them, but it shouldn't have been given to them. In the, uh, in the fourth quarter, specifically, Atlanta decided to not run the ball uh, when, they were on the Atlanta tw- when they were on the New England 22-yard line. There was four minutes and 40 seconds left, and they ended up punting due to a sack and a holding call and a pass play. If they run it three times and won the uh, play clock down, which they didn't do in the fourth quarter at all either, I think the average on the play clock in the fourth quarter was like 15 seconds. So that's pretty bad game planning, uh, game awareness there on Atlanta's Atlanta's side of the ball. But if they run it three times, kick a field goal, that's an 11-point lead with – three minutes, two minutes to go. We're not talking about New England coming back. So I think this more this has to do more with uh, Atlanta, Atlanta side of the ball collapsing there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's both. Um, I know it doesn't answer well, the question directly, but. I mean, it has to be Oh, both. you got more to. You, you, but well, I, yeah. I just think, I mean, I, I just think Atlanta was worse. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Kyle Shanahan swallows some pride there, and like you mentioned, and runs the ball when they're down in New England territory. You know, they would have walked at least walked away with three points, and that would have given them an 11-point lead at that point in the game, barring another New England miracle, would have put put the game out of reach at that point. And then I think on the flip side of this, if Julian Edelman doesn't catch that pass, there's a good chance New England may not have gotten down the field as fast as they did. And that would have changed the outcome of this game as well, because that was a huge play and a huge momentum swing when after the review, it was revealed that it was a clean catch. And that was clear on the, on the replay and on all the footage, you could see that that ball didn't touch the ground. And we're going to talk more about the catch later on in the show, but I think, I think to directly answer the question and not give a wishy-washy answer, I think I'm, I'm with you that the Atlanta collapse was bigger than the New England comeback. Yeah. So because of this, this the game, the, the way the game turned out, and like we just talked about, the comeback, the collapse, Cole, is this the greatest Super Bowl of all time? I'm going to – I think this is – Top five, and the thing about it too, like this just happened, so it's it fresh in everyone's mind, and like it was an amazing game. So it just, I think that just hypes it up even more. But I'm going to go with Super Bowl 42. Uh, the greatest team of all time 
in quotations, the team about to go 19-0, the New England Patriots. They were beat by a 10-6 wildcard team in the uh, New York Giants. And after scoring the go-ahead touchdown with 2.42 to go, New England looked to be on their way to their fourth Super Bowl. But then here comes Eli Manning, the Patriots killer, as uh, a lot of people call him in my household, uh, mainly just me. <laughs> Uh, he then orchestrated, I think, one of the, and I hate saying clutch, but one of the clutchest drives uh, in Super Bowl history. And he was the quarterback in the greatest play in Super Bowl history in that catch, uh, capping off a huge comeback. Goliath goes down. David beats him. I think, And I think that's the greatest upset in sports history. You have the greatest offense in, in NFL history. And then Eli Manning, the Giants, beat him on the last-minute drive. I'd have to go with Super Bowl 42 on that. All right, so you you don't think it's the greatest Super Bowl of all time. I think this is going to go way back, and some of our listeners may not have been alive for this, including us. But I think Super Bowl 25 – gives this game a close run for its money. The fact that this game happened, like I said, over 25 years ago, makes it a game that isn't talked about much. But to set the scenario for you, Cole, it was the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants. You had the Giants led by Bill Parcells, Jeff Hostetler, the quarterback under center. But the star of the show was running back Otis Anderson for the Giants who ended up winning the Super Bowl MVP, rushing for over 100 yards. And on the other side of this game, you had Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, and Andre Reid on that high-powered Bills offense. And up until this game, there was no way to stop that offense that the Bills had. But the Giants were able to do so behind, of course, Lawrence Taylor, one of the most famous defensive game plans of all time that was written by, guess who, Cole? Uh, Bill Belichick Bill Belichick it was written by Bill Belichick and this is the game that led to Belichick to land his future head coaching jobs this is a really famous game plan that's been released their, their strategies and all that in this game but above all else this is the game that is most famous for the last second field goal that was missed by Scott Norwood that went wide right of the uprights this game started that famous Bills four-game Super Bowl losing streak, and this game is the only game in Super Bowl history that was decided by one point. So I think Super Bowl twenty-five, the second greatest Super Bowl of all time, but I do think that Super Bowl 51, just by the sheer nature of the spread of points, the win probability, et cetera. The numbers say that that's got to be the greatest game of all time. But I agree. Super Bowl 42 uh, is right up there. Super Bowl 25 is right up there. And I think those are the three that, that everyone's going to talk about uh, being the best three. And I think like anything, it'll be subjective and people will mismatch and, and change the order. But I think, to me, it goes uh, 51, 25, 42. And I think that people will put in Super Bowl 49 because that's recent as well with the uh, Seahawks 
throwing that stupid pass on the one. And then also Super Bowl 43 with the Steelers and the Cardinals, that back and forth in the fourth quarter was really entertaining. Yeah, no doubt. And we spoke about Julian Edelman's catch a little bit ago. And so the question is, was Julian Edelman's catch the best catch in Super Bowl history? What do you think? I'm going to have to go back to Super Bowl 42 again. I think the helmet catch, just the scenario of that, uh, like I said, New England was about to go 19-0, only team to ever do that. Uh, fourth quarter, third and five from their own 44 with a minute 15 left. Eli Manning, who's also known as a Patriots killer, as I mentioned, um, he escaped three sacks and then just basically threw it up in the general area of David Tyree, who we don't even know who David Tyree was before that game, and we haven't heard much of him since then. So it's not like he's some great wide receiver. No offense, Tyree, if you're listening to this, which you're not. Um, But he decides (laughs) that he's just going to catch it with one hand and pin it up against his helmet while Rodney Harrison is draped all over him. That, that's the best catch. Um, for people that say Julian Edelman's the best catch, uh, that was on first down. That, I mean, the stakes weren't as high. He had a lot more opportunities after that if, he, if it was incomplete. That's all I got. Well, let's break this down then because – Okay. I've compiled probably, probably the six best catches in Super Bowl history. And let's, let's kind of rationally have this discussion. So we've got the top six catches in Super Bowl history. So number one, we've got Super Bowl X. It's the iconic catch we've all seen. Terry Bradshaw out of the Steelers' own end zone, throws a deep. Lynn Swan goes up, tries to grab it, bobbles it, but then comes down with the ball. It makes the catch. Super Bowl ten, Lynn Swan. Then you've that was got actually the first mod. The ne- yeah. Yes, it was. You mossed him. You mossed him. And then you you've got what you just mentioned that Super Bowl forty nine game, and Jermaine Kirsch. You know this catch was really really something in that game. The ball's tipped up in the air by a defender. Bounces off not one, but both of Jermaine Curse's legs. And he's sitting on his keister while he's able to reel this sucker in. That was a pretty darn good catch itself. Then back to, back to today's game, Super Bowl 51. And that catch by Julio Jones on the sideline is one that we should never forget because it was done in a losing effort. And I think it's going to be overlooked throughout the history of, of the game. But that catch, I mean, he stretches out. Snags the ball, gets both of his toes in bounds. That that was really a great catch. Yep. Then you've got Super Bowl 43, Pittsburgh, Arizona, San Antonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone. He stretches out way up, keeps both toes in bounds, and makes the grab over three Arizona defenders. Then you've got, like you mentioned, David Tyree, Super Bowl 42. Eli runs for his life, gets a chance to heave it gets it downfield, Tyree goes over Rodney Harrison, traps it against his helmet. What a catch. And then, of course, the, the catch we're talking about, Julian Edelman, Super Bowl 51. So, let's rank these things. So, you're saying David Tyree was the greatest catch of all time in Super yep. Bowl history, I should say. Okay. Yep. I, I looked at both catches. That, that, that 
it's so hard to say what was better than the other. But for discussion's sake, I'm going to say Edelman's catch was better. Just because the concentration, the fact that he's diving forward, three guys are there, he keeps the ball off the ground. Um, I, I think they're, they're just super close. But I'm going to say Edelman, number one. So mm-hmm. number two, where do you got as far as these six? All right, so Tyree and Edelman are already one and two, regardless of how we rank it. Yeah, so you're going to go Edelman two? Sure. Okay, um, so we got Edelman two, or, or no? Well, you want Edelman one. That's what I'm saying. Like, we both have either Tyree or Edelman at one and two. Right, yep. So I would then go with, I think I'd go Santonio Holmes because that won the game. And just yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna look at the not just you're not just looking at the catch itself. You're looking at the parameters like on what, what the catch meant, what it meant, right? And that's the game, and that's why okay. I put Tyree as number one because that was third down. You know, like th- that was a huge play. They had to go down the field, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's why I put it at number one, and that's why I put yeah, okay. Holmes at number three. Yeah, and when you do this list, I think that's what you got. You got to say, is it the greatest catch, regardless of how, when, where in the game, or is it the greatest catch based upon what it meant to the game? And so I think you could have two separate lists as far as that goes. You know. Yeah. Um, Holmes, I, you know, I, I think if you if you go just a based upon catch it alone, not not based upon where, you know, and how and. It, the ramifications on the game itself. I think to me, it would be um, Edelman, Tyree, Kirsch, Swan, Jones, and then Holmes last. But if you, like you're saying, if you weigh it more upon, you know, what it meant to the game itself, then I think you're right. I think Holmes would probably rank ahead of Jones, Swan, and Kirsch. That's fair. Yeah, it's a it's a good discussion. Um, check those catches out, uh, listeners. If you haven't, it, you know, if you haven't, if you don't remember the Kirsch catch, go back and check that thing out because that was just unbelievable. The concentration was out of the chart, off off the off the charts. And then the Lynn think... Swan catch. I, I'm. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're talking about Kirsch. Yeah, I think the. Uh the Jones catch is going to turn into a Jermaine curse catch where people just kind of forget about it because they're on the losing side. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're probably right. And, and the Lynn Swan one is that iconic catch Super Bowl 10. It's been replayed on NFL films a million times, but if you haven't seen it, check it out. Pretty amazing catch. So that leads us into our next question, Cole. And how exactly will you remember Super Bowl 51? I will remember it uh, the same way I remembered Super Bowl 49. And I watched Super Bowl 51, as you know, a couple times. I recorded it uh, just to watch it again. Didn't know that was going to happen. But I'm going to remember it by being very confused by the offensive play calling by the losing team down the stretch. And I wasn't a fan of either teams, either the Seahawks or the Patriots or the Patriots or the Falcons. But 
watching it again, I'm legitimately upset at the coaching of the offensive coordinators on those losing teams. And that's how I'm going to remember it. Yeah, I think I'll remember it as just being shocking. Just, um, you know, we talk about it, and I'm watching the game. And it was a game where I felt that Atlanta had dominated and were looking to run away with it. And then next thing you know, you know, a blink of an eye, and the Patriots have tied the game, and we're looking at overtime. And it and I like you, you know, I went back and rewatched a lot of the game, and still it's just amazing on how quick that turnaround, the events that happened to allow it to happen, the play calling, the fumble, the you know, uh, the penalties, every everything that went into what happened is just. I mean, you couldn't write. You couldn't write a book. I mean, you could, but it would be hard to portray what, what actually happened in that game. So, to me, it'll be shocking. That's how I'll remember it. You know, a game where I had to watch it a couple times to really digest what happened. And I don't know, Cole. I yeah. mean, for me, I, it's still confusing. Like you said, it's still, it's still a game that you look at it, you watch the game, and it looks like Atlanta should win. There's times when I'm just like at work randomly and I still think about them not handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. And I think this is going to be the type of thing that happens with this game. Like, and after rewatching the game a couple of times, the last quarter and a half Atlanta's Atlanta's offense didn't do one thing to help their team. They did not wind the clock down. They hiked the, like I said, they hiked the ball like 15 seconds left on the play clock repeatedly while they while the clock was running. They passed the ball when they shouldn't have. The the holds on the pass play, the seven step drop on third and one. A seven step drop on a third and one. Why? That, I don't get that. Yeah, I you know, they 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 the quotes you heard from their staff after the Green Bay game was, you know, they do what they do. They never take their foot off the gas. That's that's uh, that's who we are. And who they were bit them in the ass in Super Bowl 51 because they didn't look at the numbers. Sometimes you've got to play percentages. I myself am a play caller as a coach, obviously on a much lower level than this game. So I'm not comparing myself to Kyle Shanahan. But – you have to look at percentages and, and, and sometimes you have to be conservative. I'm all about being aggressive. I'm, I'm a very aggressive play caller. I I like that style, but there, there comes a point where you look at the percents and you say, if I do this, this could happen. But if I do this, there's a good chance we're going to win. So, yeah, I mean, just, it's amazing. Even in the pros, you know, people make mistakes. Everyone's human. And, and I think Kyle Shanahan's going to, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for him and the, and the rest of the Falcons for a long time. And especially their fans. I mean, <laughs> fans in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, they've had a rough goal of it. Yeah. I'm trying to fix this bent. I don't know how loud it is. 
Uh, you're sounding loud and clear Okay. So, you know, right. we, we touched on a lot of what happened in the game, and basically it ended up boiling down to overtime. Mm-hmm. And so the question is now, is based upon what we saw in this game, do the overtime rules in the NFL need to be changed? And maybe we'd stick this conversation to playoffs, but I mean, you can, I mean, you can take, you know, you can take it relative Cole, but I don't know if we want to stick to the playoffs or if we want to just talk about it as a whole, but do the overtime rules need to be changed? What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. <laughs> you kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Thanks, Tim. Uh, thanks, Tim. Um, I think if you were to change it, it would just be for the playoffs. And I don't think that – I mean, I, I do think that if Atlanta had won the game or won, won the toss and had won the game, I really don't think many people outside of Massachusetts would have a problem with the overtime rules. I don't think we'd even be talking about it right now because not a lot of people like Patriots. Uh, but as Packer fans, uh, we've been on the wrong side of the coin, so to speak, uh, a couple of times in the playoffs recently. Um, and just trying to take all that out of the account, being a Packer fan, not liking the Patriots, I do think it is BS that both teams don't get the ball. I just, I mean, it's coming down to a coin toss in the Super Bowl, like, that's pretty ridiculous, I think. If anything, change it for the Super Bowl or something. I, I, don't, I, I just think that both teams at this point in the season have deserved the chance to get the ball on offense. And I get that defense is supposed to stop the offense, but I don't know. I just I don't think they should change yeah. it. Yeah, they need to change it because, you know, usually – the opening coin toss of the game means almost nothing. I mean, there's, you know, coaches believing in the strategy of some coaches like to get the ball right away. Some coaches like to kick. Some coaches like to defer and get their choice in the second half. Hope that the other team screws up and chooses to kick so they get the ball in both halves. But, you know, in overtime, the coin toss is a major deciding factor in who wins and loses. And we saw that in this game. And, it was the right step in 2010 when the NFL reworked the overtime rules for the playoffs. Each team guaranteed the opportunity to possess the ball. But the thing is, is unless the team that receives the opening kickoff scores a touchdown, if they, excuse me, if they score a touchdown, then it's over. So they took a step in the right direction because if that team only kicks a field goal, then the other team gets a, gets a possession themselves. But, you know, they scored a touchdown. That's what we saw in Super Bowl 51. Atlanta's doesn't get a shot. And they won the toss, putting Atlanta's tired defense back on the field. And they were on the field for over 40 minutes in that game, Atlanta's defense. And, of course, they drove down. They got a help, uh, They got some help with a couple of no calls. I, I, we won't get into that. Um, but they, they got a couple. Well, what the heck, let's get into it. They got. They let's be. I'm going to be real with the listeners right now, Cole. They got. They got. They got. There was two no calls that should have been called, especially at that point in the game. You can't say that they were letting them play because they threw the pi flag 
on Atlanta, which was a penalty. Nobody's disputing that. But there were two penalties that went uncalled. There was a high-low on linebacker Deion Jones on that drive, blatantly uh, right in the middle of the field, right in front of the umpire. That, that play was the absolute textbook definition of the rule of a chop block in the NFL. If you watch that play and you watch the textbook example that the NFL gives in their video rule book, it is the exact same play to a T. And as a matter of fact, I, I have some screenshots of that, that play. I'll post them on our social media. I know it's a little late and people are tired of it, of the, the discussion, but I'm going to put those on there so people can see it because it hasn't been talked about a lot, that call. The second one was on the, on the scoring play itself. Still some question on did James White actually get in. You look at a couple of different camera angles. One angle looks like he's not in, knees down. There's no clear evidence of the ball crossing the plane. And then you've got the other angles where it's actually behind the runner. And if you're looking from overhead and behind the runner, it clearly looks like he's in, but the angle kind of changes it. And in my opinion, he, he didn't get in, in my opinion, from what I saw. They haven't proved to me that he got in. But the fact they ruled it a touchdown, I think, was the reason why they couldn't overturn it. But they didn't really look at it for very long. But on that play, there was a blatant hold on the same player, Deion Jones. Two hands on the back of the jersey, rips them down. He spins around, is unable to make the tackle. And it's in every highlight. And nobody mentions it. It's right, it's right, in, front of the, it's right in front of the scoring play. It's right there. And not, I haven't heard one person mention it on a broadcast, not one and mind boggling to me. So you were uh, texting me during, like when those plays happened during the game and I was on the side of, uh, I didn't see it very clearly and I just didn't yeah. really give a shit because I figured New England was going to score regardless. But then when I rewatched yep. the game, those are really clear, especially the chop block. That was 100% a chop block. And who knows? I mean, it brings them back to, I think, like the 20 or 30-yard line. I forget where the ball is at that point. Who knows what happens? I mean, I'm not saying that they don't score. Atlanta's defense was on the, like you said, on the field for over 40 minutes. It was 93 to 46, the plays, in New England's favor. So they were pretty tired. But yeah, who knows? But, I mean, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Call it. Exactly. And they called it on Atlanta, so why couldn't they call it on New England? That that's the issue I have. Back to the overtime rules. I wanted to throw that out there. We'll pu- I'll we'll post those pictures on our social media. Um, you know, there's no doubt at that point in the season, like you said, Atlanta deserves a chance to score themselves. Number one offense in the league. Um, I think people at home wanted to see that. They're all about T V ratings, they're all about excitement. Well, you didn't give us the excitement, NFL. I know the rules are the rules, but when it's the last game of the season, the whole injury prevention thing, that goes out the window. They deserve a chance. They deserve a chance to win. Their offense deserves a chance to, to try to get their team back in the game. So what's the solution? To me, I think it's got to be a mixture of college rules where both teams get the ball. But in my opinion, they shouldn't get the ball on the 20 or the 10 you know, 
because that's an automatic gimme in the NFL pretty much at that point in the game. But what I think should happen is both teams should possess the ball, kickoff, so it's fair, even keel. They have to drive the length of the field. So even if the team would turn over the ball on down, so the first team would get the kickoff, let's say they, they got two first downs, stalled out, and had to punt, or, or, or it, there would be no punting is my point. So you got four downs. You're always at four down territory, so to speak. The team's trying to score no matter what. If they don't score, then the ball uh, replays, and that team kicks off to the other team. You could see surprise onside kicks. You might see squib kicks. You might see them try to boot it through the end zone. But both teams would get the ball. So that's, that's my suggestion on that. I think that would, that would be a real cool way to solve the problem. What do you think about that, Cole? I think that would be pretty fun. And the thing with college football, with their overtime, overtime at the time is more exciting than, than the actual regulation game because each play matters. Each possession matters. So if you want ratings, I mean, obviously, well, the ratings has gone down, Goodell. Um, I think if you fix this overtime for a playoff game, I think that would, in, in the way you suggested it, that would be really fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So something needs to be done, and I think they're going to be under a microscope with that, and, and I, I, I wouldn't doubt that we'll see some rule change in the future on that. So Tom Brady wins the MVP in Super Bowl 51. Did he deserve the Super Bowl MVP? Um, when I watched it live, I was okay with him winning it. It made sense. Uh, and I would have been okay with James White winning it too, uh, the running back. But when I rewatched it, I think White definitely deserved it. Um, Super Bowl record of 14 catches, 110 rushing, uh, receiving yards, excuse me, 29 rush yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he didn't have a lot of, of rushes. He had five yards per carry, so not bad. Three total touchdowns and a two-point conversion. And the 14 catches, like I said, that's a record. And then the three total touchdowns ties the Super Bowl record. And I get that Brady had yeah, tons of records, but Brady threw it. 63 times, completed 40-something. And we'll get into the next question. I'll I'll give you my explanation on on Brady. But I'd go James White on this one. I agree. Brady didn't deserve it. Not in my opinion. He had an amazing overtime drive. Other than that, he was mediocre at best throughout the game. He had, like you said, he had inflated numbers due to the sheer volume of throws. 60-some throws, you're going to rack up yardage. You know, you're throwing it 63 times. It's just bound to happen. And their offense was on the field almost the entire game, especially in the second half. James White was the team's MVP. Without him, they don't win the game. He scored over half their points. He scored over half their points. They took LeGarrette Blunt out of the game after he fumbled the ball. No confidence from him. Deion Lewis didn't do a damn thing. He, he, he was ineffective. So you got James White, the kid out of Wisconsin, third, third rounder. I think he was a third rounder. Not really remember. expected to, to be much in the NFL, but without James White, Patriots don't win this game flat out. And I think they, under, they know that. Brady said he wanted to give him the truck that he was going to win for the Super Bowl MVP. In fact, didn't win one this year. 
but he would have given it to him. He said James White deserved it in the press conference. LeGarrette Blunt said if he was going to choose an MVP for the team, it would have been James White. So, no, he didn't deserve it. He, he got it because of who he was and the fact that it was his fifth ring. And like you said, the fact that he broke all of these records, many just because it was his fifth, fifth win in his seventh appearance. Um, so, to me, no, he didn't deserve it. He did have an amazing drive in overtime. But I will say again, the drive was helped by two no-calls. But either way, he didn't deserve it, in my opinion. So that's going to lead us into to the big question of the week. Huge discussion all over social media, all over the Internet, all over every sports program. Joe Montana weighed in on this thing. Is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time? Cole, what do you think? I think that if you had Tom Brady as the GOAT before the game, I have no problem with that. This isn't a game that, you know, is going to take anything away from him. But this, if this was, like, it was either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning for you or Tom Brady or Joe Montana, and then Patriots win the Super Bowl, like, well, Tom Brady's the GOAT now. Look at him now. This game wasn't the deciding factor. It should not be the deciding factor. If it was, you're wrong. He was off for the majority of the game. He was off for a quarter and a half. Played a little bit better at the end of the third. Played a little bit better in the fourth. Rewatching the game, like when I watched it live, I thought he was off. And then I, when I rewatched the game, his incompletions were terrible. He was all over the all over the place with his uh, ball um, placement. And yeah, in that overtime, he was on fire. And I'll give him that. Obviously, I mean you. I think he was six for six or five for five in overtime. But even in the fourth quarter when he – I'm putting this quotations – when he played great, his incompletions, so many of them should have been intercepted if the defender either turned around or hadn't slipped. He was not that great in the fourth quarter. Um, so that, that's not why – that's why I wouldn't put him as the GOAT because of this game. If you had him – like I said, if you had him as GOAT, Obviously, he's still going to be the goat for you, I, and I don't have a problem with that. Really, I don't really have an argument against him. It's just more of a personal preference at this point for any one of the top like three, four people that you have. Um, I do think that he plays for the best coach of all time, and probably one of the most successful NFL teams in history, one of the most um, successful dynasties in history. I don't have him as a goat. I still have Peyton Manning up there. Uh, Peyton Manning just happened to be on the wrong team some of the times with that defense, but that's not a uh, discussion that we're having right now. So that's just, I just, I do not have Tom Brady as a goat. Well, I, I had a lot to say about this. My article came out earlier in the week. It's uh, like I mentioned, clickgeeks.com. Check it out. Find it on our social media accounts. And what I talked about in the article, Cole, and those of you who are listening may have already read it, but if you haven't, I'm giving you a little sneak peek, I guess. And I made the comparison to the fact that you can't just say, based upon accomplishments and awards, I shouldn't say accomplishments, on awards alone, that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And, and here's my comparison. I, I took it to other sports, okay? 
I took it to the NBA. You've got players that compiled all kinds of awards and rings. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six MVPs, 10-time all-first all, uh, all team, five-time defensive team, six-time champ. You got Bill Russell, 11-time champ. Could have been 13 without Will Chamberlain. Are those two players considered the greatest of all time? Most people would say no. And I think we know who the greatest basketball player of all time was. Most people say it's Michael Jordan. LeBron James. Okay, and then... What? Who? Keep it moving. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So most people say it's Michael Jordan. And you look at... I, I, I then compared it to the sport of boxing because... There's, there's, there's boxers, you know, you could name a, quite a few, but in the article I took a few. Uh, Willie Pep, not, not a very highly notarized boxer. He went 229, 11, and 1 in his career. Okay, at one time he was 134 wins, one loss, and one tie, draw. Okay, then you got Sugar Ray Robinson, 85-0 and 0 at one point in his career. Ended up 131, 3, and 2. Then he came back after his retirement and added some more wins to it. Are those two considered the greatest boxer? They're not. Okay? Muhammad Ali is considered the greatest by many. Some people think it's even Mike Tyson. There's other names that get thrown out. Rocky Marciano, whatever. Those two are not considered the greatest boxer of all time. Okay? And so my comparison is, is you can't just say Tom Brady's the greatest based upon Super Bowl appearances, based upon Super Bowl rings. To me, when you're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time, you have to look at how they played the position compared to others in their era and compared to all the eras combined. And when you watched them play, were they clearly the best quarterback of their time? And when I look at Tom Brady, I don't say he's the greatest quarterback of his era. I don't. Do you say, wow, what an athlete? I don't. Do you, do you say, what a throw? Do you, he, he, he doesn't impress. I'm not taking away his, what he's accomplished. I'm not taking away the fact that, yes, he is a great player, a great quarterback. You know, if you, and in the article I talked about, if you were to build a quarterback from the ground up, okay, you, you gotta, you're going you're gonna to create a quarterback from his toes to his tips of the hair on his head you you talk about arm strength that's john elway you talk about clutch play i know you don't like clutch cole but you talk about fourth quarter play you talk about preparation that's peyton manning he's got the most fourth quarter comebacks in nfl history no doubt prepared more than any other player probably ever there was a guy who was giving it to me on social media that Tom Brady prepared more than Peyton Manning. I think that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. The proof is in the pudding. You can talk to players that played against Peyton Manning. His, his, his example was, well, coaches of Tom Brady and teammates of Tom Brady say he prepared more than anyone they ever seen. Well, of course they're going to say that. Talk to the people that played against them and ask who prepared more, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. I think the answer is clear. Peyton Manning. Uh, grit and toughness. That's Brett Favre. Okay. As far as the quarterback concerned, he's got the record for consecutive starts for any player ever, any position. It's Brett Favre. Athleticism, Michael Vick, 
accuracy, Drew Brees, whatever. We can continue this conversation of all these little traits. But Tom Brady falls short in every category. So to me, Tom Brady's not the GOAT. He's not the greatest of all time. He's a great player, a great quarterback, but he's not the greatest. Joe Montana is still the greatest quarterback of all time, point blank period, in my opinion. Joe Montana. He did it with more than one coach on more than one team. Granted, he didn't win the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, but he got to the AFC Championship game, had a lot of success. And you want to talk about, you know, accomplishments and awards. Brady's barely edged Montana's, first of all. And second of all, Montana dominated Super Bowls, dominated himself, dominated the game. Five touchdowns in one Super Bowl alone, never threw an interception in a Super Bowl appearance, never. Brady's already got four, and he threw a big one that could have cost him the game last Sunday. So, no, Tom Brady's not the GOAT as far as I'm concerned. Do you put Tom Brady in your top five? He's in – He's well, if you looked at our rankings, Cole, um, this, the, our rankings were done before this game concluded. Um, talking about the greatest quarterback of all time listeners contest, we've ranked 32. We posted our top 15. On social media, I had Tom Brady at number five. So, yes, okay. he he is in my top five. But it was really close because Brett Favre was number six. And I think at times Brett Favre was better than Brady. But there's other times when Brett Favre made you scratch your head, and I think we all know what we're talking about. So, yeah, yes, he's number five. And I think he was number five gotcha. for you in your 15, too, right? Probably. I think after the Super Bowl, I was driving down to, like, number 10, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get more into the quarterback situation later when we talk about our greatest of all time contest. But right now, we're going to transition out of the Super Bowl 51 talk. Um, if you have any other comments or things you would like to say to us, go ahead and give us a shout on Twitter, Facebook about Super Bowl 51. Um, what is what an NFL season. So we're going to transition out of that and we're going to move into our select stories of the week. And we're going to try to do this, uh, every week on the show, we'll have a lead story and then our select stories of the week and our select story. Our first select story of the week is back to the kind of the LeBron James, Charles Barkley talk, but what we're going to talk about here is what Jerry Krause, former general manager of Chicago Bulls, what Jerry Krause said on Michael Jordan. He was on Adrian uh, Wojciechowski's podcast, uh, radio show podcast, and he was asked a question on Michael Jordan and comparing it to the fact of LeBron James asking for other players. This is what Jerry Krause said on Michael Jordan. I'll say this about him, and I quote, he never came to me and asked for other players. He never came to me and asked me to draft a player. He never came to me to ask me to trade for a player. Never once did that happen. Part of it was he thought he was so darn good, he thought he could win without them. I'm sure of that. Michael was smart enough to understand the organization and he understood what we had to do as an organization. He never complained to me. Okay, cool. 
So based upon Jerry Krause's comments on Michael Jordan, make you think any less of LeBron James? Hell no. This is such revisionist history. The, this whole old era of basketball saying that it, it just drives me nuts. Like they, they, nobody was friends. They never, they, everyone did everything by themselves. They never took games off. That is such BS. It has been documented that MJ, he didn't want Horace Grant. He wanted them to draft uh, Johnny Dawkins. They didn't, they didn't draft him. He was upset about that. He wanted other players in free agency. Just because he didn't go to the press about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And the thing with free agency, it wasn't even a thing until 1988 where you could have unrestricted free agency. And at that point, you still had to have uh, be in the league for more than seven years, and you had to play through two contracts, so it's not like you could just sign some guy off their first contract. That This is so stupid. It makes no – like this whole old era of basketball just talks about their era of basketball like it was the greatest thing to ever happen to the, to, to the world. 20, 30 years from now, guess what? Somebody's going to come along that's going to be better than LeBron. It's going to happen. There's better players now than there was back then. It's just the way things work. Athletes get bigger. They get stronger. They get faster. The game is going to get better. That's what happens. Sorry that we're better now than it was 20, 30 years ago. I, I just don't understand so this, you, this thought process. It, just, it pisses me off, obviously. What's up? So you would. So you're saying that, uh, let's say, uh, uh, a top uh, five from this era would beat a top mm-hmm. five from the Jordan era. Are you talking about like a game of one-on-one? I'm talking about a game, a, a game, an NBA basketball game. Now here's what most people uh, that, that think basketball was better 20 years ago. They think the game's soft. They think that uh, there's more fouls called now. They think that they don't let, them them play they don't want the athletes play and they think that uh for instance the traveling rules are too too lax they think that things aren't called on every player equally they think that okay uh, that's soft okay so what's your uh, what's your what's your answer to that is the game soft now well to take on the, the superstar calls that i think you're just alluding to yeah, superstars have always gotten calls. That's the point, because you want to have the superstar be the superstar. MJ got calls all the time. MJ complained about calls. It's not like it's some new thing. It is ref differently, and take it up with the NBA officials. Take it up with the NBA, whoever like comes down with these rules. If you can get a foul call on someone because you flop, then flop. That's going to be part of the game now. Don't call the flop then, if, if, if that's the way you want it to be. The players are taking advantage of what the refs are going to be calling. That's just part of the game now. The game is still played the same. It's just refed slightly differently. You get a technical now for something you would have got a common foul for. You get a flagrant now for something you would have got a common foul for. That's it. Just because I can't punch you in the face and get a common foul doesn't mean I'm soft or doesn't mean that you're soft. It's just called slightly differently. 
Do you think LeBron James would survive if he played in the 80s? Oh, I don't know. I think a 6'9", 250, 260-pound forward could probably survive in the 80s. Just my opinion. One of the greatest athletes to ever play a sport. I think he could probably be okay. But would you agree that he's soft? I think he plays the game he plays today. And if he played in the 80s, if him and MJ switched, MJ would be soft. Yeah. So, okay, so what you're saying is that the players play the way they play based upon the rules that they're given. Right. I mean, it's just, it makes sense. If James Harden can go to the free throw line 15 times a game because he draws fouls and flops probably a little bit, then flop. Who cares? Get to the free throw line. Get points. Okay. All right. I see where, I see where you're coming from. Um, again, back to what we said. It's, it's, and what you mentioned when we started this conversation, uh, Michael Jordan may not have gone to the media about players on his team, but that doesn't mean that he didn't complain or didn't say anything to anyone, and we'll never know that. But what we do know is that LeBron James people came out and said it because he, because he, well, people came out and said it, but it's not the same because LeBron, we actually have video evidence of LeBron James saying this. So there's, again, there's books. I think we it. can both. Ag- I think we can both agree that they both probably did the same thing, but they did it different ways. Yeah, because it's the age that we're in now. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you were to switch MJ and Michael, I mean, well, they're the same person. If you were to switch MJ and LeBron and just change their birth dates, we'd be talking about. Is MJ ever going to be better than, than LeBron? I don't think so. He's too soft. He complains too much. We'd be saying the same exact thing. Yeah. It's just a different era of basketball. It's just a different era of, of the world. Whose mom would win in a fight, LeBron's mom or MJ's mom? I don't know much about MJ's mom. I think you got to go with MJ's mom, even if you don't know her. I'm going to go with LeBron's mom then. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. We've got some more basketball news to talk about. And Wednesday night, set the scenario. We're at Madison Square Garden. New York Knicks are playing, are hosting, hoisting, the Los Angeles Clippers. That was a uh, Chris Farley reference there. Uh, Yeah. Well, not really Chris Farley. That was – he didn't say that part. We're talking about the Bears. Yeah. That segment on Saturday Night Live. Who? who, What was that guy's name? The super fans. Yeah, the super fans. But who was the guy – what is his name? The guy with the cigar. The actor? uh, The actor, yeah. What is his name? Uh, he, I don't know. He was on Cheers. I forget his name. Yes. Norm on Cheers, right? No, Norm. Uh, I thought it was the guy with the mustache. I thought he was the, I thought Norm was the guy, the mailman, right? Oh, man. All right, I'm going to look this up while you're talking. Yeah. Uh, Norm Peterson. All right. Pretty, pretty sure that's him, right? Is that the same guy? Or maybe it's not the same guy. Oh, look up the Saturday Night Live skit 
and tell me who the hell I'm that gonna. guy is. What is what his name is? All right. What the hell are we talking about? Oh yeah, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you got something? Yeah, uh, George Wentz. That Georgie, sound right. that's, a, that's the guy. Yeah, George. Bill, Bill Swirsky. <laughs> Bill, Bill, Bill Swirsky is super fans. Yeah. Was what it was called. Bill oh Swirsky, yeah, this yeah. George went. George went. Okay, that's the same guy. Yeah, he's Norm from Cheers. All right, we're right. Nope. Oh, come on. Yeah, there we were go. Were we ever doubting we're ourselves? Come on, we're right. Why wouldn't we? Give me a break. Give me yeah. a break. Chris, <laughs> give us some laughter, man. <laughs> By the way, thought it was funny. Uh, for people that don't know, that's Chris Farley's laugh. So that's why we that's why we do that. Big Chris Farley fans. Yeah. Huge. Okay, so back to back to what we're talking about here. Uh, what? Okay, Madison Square Garden. Charles Oakley was escorted out of Madison Square Garden by security. And after the altercation, he was arrested. Okay. He was, apparently, he was sitting in the stands near owner of the Knicks, James Dolan. Um, If you watch the clip, if you watch the game, you saw what happened. He uh, is approached by a few men. He stands up. There's an altercation, an argument. They kind of touch Oakley. He shoves a couple guys. It gets physical. Uh, no punches were thrown, but it got physical. They grab him, and there's about ten guys who escort him out of the out of the building. Uh, fans in the arena start chanting Oakley as he's being drug out. Um, the Knicks wrote a statement on Twitter. He has been ejected and is currently being arrested by the New York City Police Department. He was a great Nick, and we hope he gets some help soon. That, that, that statement, statement right there is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That statement got got the Knicks a lot of flack by them saying that he they hope he gets some help soon. Um, Jeff Hornacek, coach of the Knicks, kind of comments on this. He says that the off-court drama hasn't really come to a surprise. Um, they said that uh, President Phil Jackson came out to try to calm down Oakley, who was yelling at Dolan and telling security he wasn't going to move as they handcuffed him outside the tunnel leading to the court. Um, I guess what we didn't see was that Phil actually spoke with Oakley, trying to calm him down as police uh, got him out of the building. Um, more drama for the Knicks. Um, it's not looking good for them. And those of you who don't know who Charles Oakley is, played for the Knicks for 10 years, helped them reach the finals, was a great player for them, a pivotal part in that franchise's run. He's had a poor relationship with the team recently because of his criticisms of James Dolan, who many people have of Dolan, not just him. Mm-hmm. The New York Times profiled Oakley back in 2016 November of 16 uh, that he'd been estranged from the Knicks organization for years a rift that was caused in part from Oakley's inability to keep some of his 
opinions to himself. Oakley called Dolan a bad guy and a mother effer. Okay. Um, okay. In the story, in that, in that story, New York Times story, at least 15 people had tried to set up a meeting between him and Dolan, but Oakley said Dolan refused to meet. Oakley told the New York Times, I want to sit down and talk to him. I want me and him in a room. Lock the door. Lock that door. I mean, he can have the police outside the door. That was his direct quote to the New York Times. <laughs> Why won't he meet with them then? That seems pretty simple. <laughs> right. Um, so, okay, fast forward a little bit. A Friday, yesterday, you were listening to this show live on Blog Talk Radio, Saturday, February 11th. We've got a little under an hour remaining in the show, and we're talking Charles Oakley. Latest on this is Dolan went on the Michael K. show on ESPN New York. He said that he was verbal, uh, Oakley was verbally abusive in front of fans in a nasty way with racial overtones, sexual overtones, stuff they should never hear. Dolan said, I'll allow Phil to do his job, won't meddle going forward. Oakley said, Dolan won't even shake his hand. Okay. Um, this, this, this is just a circus here in New York. It just, it just, it's, um, they fired the head of security from this situation. The New York Knicks have fired their head of security. Their statement was it was just a situation where the person, uh, excuse me, Phil Jackson said this was just a situation, or I'm getting tongue-tied here. Dolan said in that same interview, it was just a situation where the person didn't work out and that was the last straw. We're obviously looking at everything that we did and he's one of the casualties. Dolan also said he may have a problem with alcohol. We don't know. Oakley has since refuted the Knicks' versions of the events. He said, they got cameras following me all the way down to my seat. I didn't get up until they walked over to me. So it can always be a story after a story. You know how that goes, PR stuff. I'm not looking for PR. I just wanted to be treated right. He also said on Mike and Mike on ESPN, Mike and Mike radio show, he was simply trying to protect himself. It's their opinion. They've got a right to say what they want to say. But you send 10 guys for one guy, you're going to brace yourself and try to protect yourself. That's all that happened with me. I don't know what it is. I brought my ticket. I bought my ticket to the garden. I wasn't looking for that. So, Cole, what's your opinion on this subject? Did the New York Knicks do Charles Oakley wrong? Um. Well, I hadn't seen any video. I was looking for it. Maybe there it is out there by now. But I hadn't seen any video where Oakley was saying anything to Dolan, who was sitting pretty close near. Um, and you would think if he was saying this stuff, there'd be at least some visual evidence of it. I'm not saying you need visual evidence, but uh, it, there obviously is a bad relationship between Oakley and Dolan. And if Dolan felt the need to not have Oakley buy him, you know, call the security to get him out of here. That easy. I mean, he's the owner of the team. Um, 
and it seems like Oakley does have a drinking problem. On Mike and Mikey, did say that wine isn't alcohol, which is just wrong. <laughs> I mean, it seems like something an alcoholic would say. Hey, maybe he could get hired by the Falcons to be their offensive coordinator. No, they're going to just be hiring alcoholics. Uh, I thought that it was. I mean, he he put he pointed his fingers, index finger, into a dude's forehead and just mushed him backwards. That was pretty awesome. Um, there has to be some sort of way they can figure something out without having to. I don't know. This is just, it, like you said, it's a circus. This is just a circus of just bad stuff. Yeah. Nobody likes Dolan. Well, Phil's not doing a good right. job of whatever he's supposed to be doing. Uh, they've got a, an old fan favorite coming in, and they're kicking him out. So fans are pissed. The team isn't good. They want to get rid of Mello. They're trying to make him rescind his uh, no-trade tra- no clause. He doesn't want to leave. Phil's subtweeting everyone. This is just maybe they should just get rid of the Knicks for the rest of the season. Just I don't know. Backup shop. Yeah, put poor Zingad on the on the Timberwolves. We need him. Well, I, you know, like you said, where, where's this evidence of him say, shouting obscenities? Uh, and and saying sexual uh, sexual things and negative things. That right. He, well, everyone's got a phone. To, to go off that point, I follow some people who are Knicks fans on Twitter, and that's how I get most of the, most of the news from those people. As far as like, because they re, they'll retweet you know Knicks writers and stuff like that. Nobody came out and right. said anything about that. They were saying the same things like. Like, nobody saw that. So it's just kind of weird that in the technology age that we have where everyone has a phone, like you said, and, like, all these people who are mixed fans, that like, you would think, like, somebody would, like, record this or, like, tweet it out or something. Right. No, yeah, nobody record, no audio, no video. They said that he was being uh, verbally abusive since he, the moment he walked in the door. Well, Obviously, Knicks fans are going to realize, hey, that's Charles Oakley, and he's saying, F you, F this, suck my this, <laughs> whatever he's saying, they're going to record that shit. Right. You know, I mean, that, and, and there's no videos of that. There's nothing. All we see is him sitting there and a bunch of guys coming up to him. That's all we see. So, I don't know. I I think – uh, Knicks fans are absolutely siding with Charles Oakley. I think America right. as a whole is siding with Charles Oakley. I think there's some former players who've come out also siding with Charles Oakley. And whether or not he's got a drinking problem, which he he very well might. I didn't see him with a drink in his hand there. He looked like he was pretty well kept, had a nice suit on. Um, it's... it's it, you know, it it, could, it seems to me that it, it, it could be just a cop-out from the Knicks to say, well, he said this, he's got a drinking problem. I mean, they're, they're, they're saying a lot about somebody, and they're saying it um, pa- pass, uh, pass-aggressively, big time. They're, they're, yeah. 
they're giving him a backhanded compliment. He was a great Nick, but he's got problems. Okay, I mean, they're not doing themselves any favors. And I don't know. We'll have to see how this goes. There's always the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe Charles will start watching games at the Barclays Center. Oh, it sucks. I mean, I guess it's really not that much different from the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's the Charles Oakley stuff. We will uh, any any more news that comes out on this, we will we will get that to you guys on our social media accounts. Back to the NFL, seeing as how it's the end of the season, they do this little thing called awards for the NFL, and we don't have a ton of time to dive into every one of these awards. However, we are going to cover and kind of give a few comments on each each thing. So the FedEx Air and Ground Players of the Year, Matt Ryan and Ezekiel Elliott. Any arguments there? Nope. Nope, I'm with you. Uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Dak Prescott. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got more MVP votes. Don't understand this, but okay. Yeah, agreed. Um, No arguments for me. I think... The quarterback overall is more important to the offense than the, than the running back. However, it's a very weird situation because I don't think they have the success they have without each other. Right. So I, I was almost expecting a co-rookie of the year, but that didn't happen. Offensive player of the year, Matt Ryan. Uh, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with this. I know that the voting was weird on this as well. Um, the voting was weird this year. And when the MVP, when the MVP thing comes up, I'll, I'll talk about that, the voting on that, because I think it was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, offensive line of the year, obviously the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that's a given. We, we knew that was coming. Uh, that's, you know, that's another tribute to Elliott's success. The Sportsmanship Award, Frank Gore, Indianapolis Colts. Clutch performer of, yeah, clutch pre. Your favorite word, clutch performer of the year, Derek Carr. Hmm. Well, his defense did suck, so I'm sure he had a lot of fourth quarter comebacks and just a lot of fourth quarter drives that they that, that they needed. So no problem with that. Well, no, good for him to get an award. He had a really good year. It was cut short, so good for yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, here's a funny one. Considering what happened, assistant coach of the year, Kyle Shanahan. Atlanta Falcons. Oh wow, that's hilarious. Good for so him. So he gets the award. At least he got something. And he's out the door in Atlanta, and he went out with a bang. Yeah. Coach of the year, Jason Garrett, Dallas Cowboys. I I think that makes sense. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, two rookies. It makes sense. You got two rookies. Yeah, I, yeah. I get it. It makes sense. Interesting one here, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Joey Bosa, a, a guy who didn't even play the entire season because of the contract issues. And he did end up with like 10 sacks or 11 sacks or something like that. I, I'm okay with that. Okay, yeah. I, I don't have a problem. I just thought it was interesting that they, he won the, ended up winning the Defensive Rookie of the Year without playing the entire season. This one is the one that I kind of – a red flag came up for me because this one like blew me away. The Greatness on the Road Award went to Le'Veon Bell of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
how anyone from the Pittsburgh Steelers wins the greatness on the road award is beyond me. That that just blew my mind. <laughs> they were terrible on the road. Terrible. Yeah. Okay. And and then so what I did, Cole, is I went and looked up his home road splits because I'm thinking, wait a minute. He was clearly better at home. Okay. So I looked up the splits and they were deceiving. Because you look at the splits and they're actually a little better on the road. He huh. averaged the same amount. He averaged the same amount of yard, uh, yards per catch. He had more receiving touchdowns, or excuse me, had more rushing touchdowns on the road. He also had more total rush yards on the road, and he averaged more yards per carry. Okay, so at first glance, you think, okay, wow, I guess he was better on the road. But let's not forget, if you actually break down his game log and you look at how the Pittsburgh Steelers did on the road this year, I don't think he should have got this award. I don't know who, who should have got this award, and here's why. His entire road stats are, are inflated based upon that one game, I think it was week 14, against the Buffalo Bills where he ran for over 200 yards and had, I think, three touchdowns. So if you take that outlier game out, if you take that game out, his numbers on the road were not good. So, so he basically just had one they, good road game? He had one good road game, and they gave him a yearly award for it. Hmm. Now, the only thing I can think of here, Cole, is that they literally had nobody else to give this thing to. Um, the other thing I, I like they just made this award up. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of it before. It's sponsored by Courtyard. And so it's kind of one of them ridiculous awards just to give an award. And I think because Le'Veon Bell was sort of in MVP talks, they need they wanted to give him an award. I can see that. Because it just it just doesn't fit. He they they were terrible on the road. We spoke about it all year. We picked against them in the playoffs because of it. So yeah. Uh, moving on, Defensive Player of the Year, Khalil Mack, Oakland Raiders. No, Von Miller. You s- Oakland Raiders Von Miller on defense. They, they do suck on defense, can't argue that. Khalil Mack did have a really good year, though. I don't care. That should have been Von Miller's award. Von Miller, all right. Uh, comeback Player of the Year, Jordy Nelson, Green Bay Packers. Yep. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, if you enjoyed my first article on Tom Brady, look for my next article. Should be releasing sometime next week. Is going to be on Jordy Nelson winning the Comeback Player of the Year. So look forward to that. ClickGeeks.com. We will probably share it on our social media accounts. Walter Payton, NFL Man of the Year. Eli Manning, your buddy, and Larry Fitzgerald. Nothing really to say about that. Bridgestone Performance Play of the Year, Buccaneers wideout Mike Evans' one-handed catch against the Falcons. Do you remember that play? I do. Uh, and that was the week that I was playing you on fantasy, and Mike Evans had that huge game, which helped me. So that was okay. That was nice. Yep, yep. I, I think okay. And then we've got MVP Matt Ryan. We kind of knew that was coming. Do you think with that real quick? Uh, yeah, talk about that voting because the voting was really weird. The voting was really stupid. Uh, I, 
I do think it's hilarious that Matt Ryan got 25 votes. So just a little ironic that they had a 25-point lead on the Patriots. And, ah, kind of funny. Um, wow. Aaron Rodgers only got two votes. That's what I think is stupid. Yeah, that's Ezekiel ridiculous. Elliott and Derek Carr both had six. You're telling me both those guys, a, a running back that is behind the best offensive line we've seen in a while, and Derek Carr deserves more votes than Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Two votes? of, of it, Like, seriously? That's pretty Yeah, I, I can't believe that. And, and all the polls that we saw leading up to the voting, Aaron Rodgers had been climbing, 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 climbing. And some people thought he was going to win the award. Yeah. Well, another thing with this real quick. Uh, I was watching NFL Honors. I was watching the show. But I was getting notifications from ESPN and Twitter 15 minutes before an award was announced on NFL Honors who won the award. It was delayed so much that there wasn't any suspense at the award show if you were watching it. <laughs> Yikes. It was stupid. Hall of Fame inductees, 2017. We've got LaDainian Tomlinson, Morton Anderson, Jason Taylor, Kenny Easley, Jerry Jones, Terrell Davis, Kurt Warner. A lot of talk uh, about Terrell Davis. Okay. Did he deserve to get in? Well, he had like a three-year stretch, four-year stretch where he was really good. So if that's what yep. qualifies, then I guess. But if you're telling me that Terrell Owens and Ty Law can't get in, and Morton Anderson, a kicker whose best like 10-year stretch was like an 80% kicker, and Jason Taylor is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Terrell Davis is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, you tell me he gets in over T.O.? That's ridiculous. And these like media people, they, they came out and they said all this stupid shit about, oh, he was a cancer to teams and blah, 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 and he just wasn't uh, good with the media and all that stuff like you do not tell the story of the NFL from whatever year to whatever year he retired without Terrell Owens. And why is there, there's no receiver, not one receiver made it. So you can't say that he got, he's in line behind such and such receiver. No receiver made the ball. And uh, next year is going to be kind of tricky. You got Ray Lewis coming up. Is he going to get in? First ballot? I mean, if Ray Lewis can get in first ballot, you tell me T.O. can't? T.O. wanted the ball. He complained about not getting the ball. Yeah, I, it, that's, that's, that's what's wrong about this is because there's, there's a good chance that Terrell Owens didn't get in because of his off-the-field antics. But what the Hall of Fame should be about is what you did on the field. Well, it's not even just about that. It's like, I mean, I guess you can consider them off the field, but what did he do besides complain about not getting the ball? Like, he didn't do anything yeah, criminal. Uh, he, he cried about his quarterback. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, he, that's his quarterback. Um, 
is Randy Moss going to be the first ballot? Because he should be, but didn't he get brought up on weed charges? Didn't he hit a cop with a car? But he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's been on multiple teams. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. It's really unfair. That's my team. <laughs> my quarterback. It's his quarterback. Actually, I felt bad watching that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he got some. There's no doubt about it. I, I ho- we'll see if he gets in. It's going to be interesting. It seems to be like this little shuffle, this little wait in line. Um, yeah, I, I think he should have got in over Terrell Davis, in my opinion. Over Morton Anderson, a kicker. There's only one other kicker in the NFL Hall of Fame, and you're telling Morton Anderson's going to be the second one? He played a long time, but, yeah, uh, over Terrell Owens seems a little silly, no doubt about it. All right, moving back away from the NFL, we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball because they're going to test a new extra innings rule. They're planning on testing a rule change in the lower levels of the minor leagues this season that would automatically place a runner on second base at the start of extra innings. The specifics of the rule, they're not final, but the current plan is to start with a runner on second base in the 10th and every inning thereafter. So you automatically have a runner in scoring position. They are trying to find ways to increase action in the game. They've had a record low rate of balls in play. Pitching is, is, is getting better. It's, you know, baseball is a game of eras over the course of the year. And we're, we're going back to an era of pitching starting, starting to kind of dominate more. And, this would kind of create a philosophical element to the game. So you've gonna, you're going to have the, are you going to bunt to move the runner over? Are you not going to bunt? Um, I think you'd see a lot of that. I think that part of the game would be interesting. Um, you know, the concern here is about fatigue and travel for these players because these extra inning games can go hours. We've seen it before. And then you've got all of these, pitchers that have to pitch uh, days, you know, especially relief pitchers that have to pitch days in a row sometimes. And then you've got the whole problem, especially in the minor leagues they're talking about with these young arms down there and they're pitching more innings because of these extra inning games. So um, what do you think about this, Cole? I mean, baseball isn't your first love, but as far as, you know, changing, I mean, this, this is basically kind of like along the lines of the same thing we were talking about as far as uh, overtime in the NFL where you start a team at the 20. I mean, is this, is this too far? I mean, do you think this is good for the game or, or bad for the game? I just think it's kind of ironic that they're starting this the season after they just had one of the best World Series in a long time and a I mean, well, depending on where you're from, ever. Um, and the game seven went extra innings. And then they come up with this right. issue saying that they need to end it quicker. Um, the thing about it was it's definitely going to end it quicker and the game's faster. If you're worried about 
fatigue and all that shit, why don't you cut some of the games? Why not not have 162 games? Maybe have like 140. (laughs) You know, like, baseball is a dying sport. That's a fact. Like, the ratings show it. I don't think not having something that people actually enjoy, which is extra innings because it's, it is more exciting. Everything extra is more exciting in overtime. Right. Uh, cutting that out, making that, you know, not be as big of a thing as it is now, I don't think that's – like, fan-wise, that's not something that's going to attract more fans. Like, well, it might get over quicker, so I'll watch it. Right. Yeah, you're, you're not going to go to the game hoping that – I hope we see an extra inning, but I hope it ends in five, five minutes. I mean, it, yeah. just be, it just makes no sense. That's the that's the cool part of getting a game into extra innings is the suspense, the game itself, Getting finally getting a guy on base. Does he steal the second? Now he's already there. He's already in scoring position. I hit in play, scores him, and it's over. I mean, yeah, I, 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 kind I, of I don't like the it. coin, and one team gets it. I mean, they both obviously have a chance to hit, but it's already ending it pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just it seems kind of weird to me. Me too. We'll see what they do. I, I hope they don't do it. I really do. I hope they test it, they don't like it, and it doesn't happen. Maybe that's just a minor league thing. But again, you know, these minor league teams with their promotions and all these things they do to try to get fans in the stadium, and then you're going to take the extra innings away from them too. I mean, I, I – We'll see what happens, but I, I'm not a fan of it. There's not at all. All right. So the moment a lot of you have been waiting for is upon us. We are going to reveal the results from round one of the Coach and Cole Show Greatest Quarterback of All Time Listeners Contest. We're going to reveal the voting. And we're going to start with the one in one versus eight seeds. We'll go through them accordingly. We'll go one and eight, two and seven, three and six, four and five. Um, these are combined results from your Twitter voting and your Facebook voting. So these are combined results. So we had Joe Montana versus Boomer Esiason. Montana ran away with it. 97% to three. No surprise. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Bledsoe, same numbers, 97% to three. Who voted Drew Dan Marino. I, yeah, who voted for Esiason? I mean. Who voted for any yeah, of these uh, The only one that I could, I could see compiling some votes is this next one, Dan Marino versus Eli Manning. You're going to have the Giants fans uh, and guys who say – he never won a Super Bowl. He's not the greatest. Dan Marino, 88% over Eli Manning's 12%. Uh, Eli's brother, Peyton, against George Blanda, 96% to 4%. No surprises there from the 1-8 and eight seeds. Moving on to the 2-7 and seven seeds, um, really no surprises here either. We've got John Elway, 73% over Joe Namath. 27%. That was the one I thought would have more votes was Joe Namath. I, I could see that one being close. That was kind of an interesting matchup. Then we have go to Tom Brady, who we've had a lot of discussion over. 
82% to 18%. Drew Brees, 100% over Dave Craig, 0%. Brett Favre, 100% over Bernie Corzar. No surprises there. Moving to the three seed versus the six seed, we've got another 100 to zero. Warren Moon, 100%. Ken Anderson, zero. And you know, Cole, I don't think people really know who Ken Anderson is. That's the problem. Ken Anderson is highly underrated. I don't think people know. I mean, one guy even said that he didn't know who Boomer Esiason was, and he's a guy who's on NFL stuff all year long. Like, I don't think people know who a lot of these lower seeds are. Which is interesting, you know. I, I mean, NFL is such a polarizing sport, and it's on TV all the time, and it's so popular, but the actual uh, history of the game a lot of people aren't familiar with. But Ken Anderson is a guy who – was was very underrated, a very good player. Um, I thought he'd gain, garner some more votes. No Cincinnati Bengals fans to help him out. So 100% yeah. to zero, he goes down. And here is an interesting matchup. Otto Graham versus uh, the Snake. Or excuse me, not the Snake. Uh, yeah, yeah. The snake, the snake was – yeah, the Snake, yeah. The Snake, Ken, Ken Stabler. Stabler. Uh, this was interesting because – on Facebook voting, Ken Stabler actually beat Otto Graham. But the Twitter voting put Graham back on the in charge, back in charge, back in front, because he had an 89 to 11% victory over Stabler. But Stabler had 54% of the votes on, on Facebook. So interesting there. Otto Graham was able to eventually win this matchup 63% to 37%. So that was kind of an interesting one. Um, The next three versus six was Steve Young and Y.A. Tittle. Again, a guy that people aren't familiar with. Y.A. Tittle did it for a long time and very underrated, really, really good player, Hall of Famer. Uh, Loses to Steve Young 85% to 15%. Then you've got Johnny Unitas taking on St. Francis Fran, Fran Tarkenton, 88% to 12%. Um, Really no surprise there for me. Johnny Unitas, um, one of the best of his time. Um, Fran Tarkenton did it for a long time, and I I like to compare him to a modern-day Johnny Manziel. Honestly, he was the first guy to really scramble around like he did and make plays happen. If you watch some old highlights of him, unfamiliar with him, you'll see the comparison between him and Johnny Menzel. Very similar gameplay. Very similar. And they're both drunk. <laughs> and then on to the close ones. The, alcoholic. The, the four and the five seed. And this one I thought was going to end up going the other way. Sammy Baugh versus your cousin Dan Fouts. Not really your cousin. Uh, or is there a relation? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a relation. My dad looks well, exactly maybe like a... him. Well, there you go. I mean, you guys got to be like eighth or ninth cousins or something. something. Um, let me see if I can pull up this voting here. I got it somewhere. This was a close one. Um, Fouts, again, we have an issue where Fouts wins on the Facebook vote but loses drastically on Twitter. And Ba ends up winning with 52% of the vote, 52 to 48. He's going to advance. 
Um, Dan Fultz tried to pull up the upset there, but he didn't get her done. Then we've got Bart Starr, Troy Aikman. Bart Starr ends up winning 66% to 34. And then we've got our only upset of the first round, and that is Terry Bradshaw edging out Roger Staubach, 52% to 48%. Voting was really close on this one. I think it came down to actually one vote difference. And, again, they actually tied in the Facebook vote, 50-50. And Bradshaw was able to get one more vote on Staubach on the Twitter vote to edge him and advance to the next round. So crazy how that ended up. And then we've got Kurt Warner, 69% over Jim Kelly, 31%. They're going to advance. Um, you can see the uh, new, the advancement here on the bracket. We are going to post the, the current bracket and the current matchups. That voting will start just like it did last week. Right after the show, as soon as these are posted, they are going to go for another week, and we will announce next week's results on the show. Um, 12.05, right after the show, the Facebook voting is going to start. The post will, will come out. The uh, same graphics we had um, will be released. You can do your voting there. Um, same thing on Twitter. They're going to come out right after the show. Same exact format. We thank everyone who participated pretty cool stuff and we'll see how these guys kind of move forward and see who wins and those of you who filled out your bracket on bracketmaker.com you got a chance to win a coach and cole t-shirt so um cool of you guys to take advantage of that and uh hopefully one of you guys takes takes home the prize of the coach and cole t-shirt you got any uh anything to say about the results there on the first round cole kind of surprised there's only one upset and also, I don't understand how anybody voted for the eight seed, and I'm kind of surprised by anyone voting for Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I think that's just uh, Bird fans and uh, Brady hate. Yeah. Atlanta and Pittsburgh fans probably ganged up on that one. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move into the coaches corner of the week and we're going to talk a little hockey in the coach's corner because St. Louis Blues head coach Ken Hitchcock was fired and the reason I want to talk about this in the coach's corner was because um, this is how this should be a, a textbook example on how to handle a firing if you're a head coach for any professional any any sport um, in, in a statement, he said, when I reflect on my time in St. Louis, I remember it as some of the best years of my career, uh, Hitchcock said. He's, he'd like to thank Tom Stillman and the entire ownership group, general manager Doug Armstrong, and the rest of the Blues management for giving me the opportunity to be part of such a storied franchise. Uh, he went 248, 124, and 41 in six seasons with the Blues. They finished first or second in the Central Division in his first five years. And this season, they were starting to struggle. They were 24, 21, and 5 when he got fired. They had some goaltending issues, and um, things just weren't, weren't going their way. They had to make a decision. In 20 NHL seasons with the Stars, Flyers, Blue Jackets, and Blues, Hitchcock has 781 wins, fourth all-time behind uh, Scotty Bowman, Joel Quinville, and Al Arbor. And he was one win away from tying third of all time. So 
interesting that uh, that didn't didn't matter in the decision. He did win a Stanley Cup with the Stars in 1999 and coached them back to the Cup final in 2000. Um, he all and, and here's here's the thing. He did this with class. His his predecessor, uh, his successor, Mike Yo, former Minnesota Wild coach. He said uh, a special thanks and good luck also goes to Mike Yo. Mike is, was a true professional and an incredible source of knowledge and support as an associate coach. The Blues are in good and capable hands going forward with Mike. So that's that's pretty cool. I, I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was really awesome um, and, and a class way to handle a firing. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. He didn't blame anyone. He took it in stride and, and moved on. So um, so that's. I just wanted to, to put some spotlight on that. Ken Hinchcock getting fired from St. Louis Blues. That's Coach's Corner. All right, we have 15 minutes remaining on the show before we say sayonara for the week. And normally at this time, we would, we would queue up com- Cole's comments. But we're going to do it a little differently, and we, we're thinking about doing this differently going forward. And what we're going to do here, guys, is we're going to start a new segment. And I'm not sure if this is going to close shows from here on out, but today it's going to close our show. And it's called Questions for Cole. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Cole a question. Um, He has no prior knowledge to the question. He has no time to study, no time to prepare his answer. And I'm going to give him five questions. And he's just going to give us his answer off the top of his head, what he really feels, what he really thinks. We're going to to know how he really feels, bro. And that's what we're going to do. (laughs) So... First question for you, Cole. Defensive coordinator Jake Patricia got off the plane from Super Bowl Fifty One with a shirt of with a shirt with a picture of Roger Goodell dressed up as a clown or out of line. Uh, funny, but also, I mean, it's kind of if you want to be a head coach at some point, it's kind of a a thing that will get looked at, I think. But I think it's funny in the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, if he's if he's looking to be a head coach, he's going to have to deal with Goodell more on a personal basis and uh, probably not the smartest thing to do. Number two, LaMelo Ball, brother of the current UCLA player, 92-point performance this week, this past week. I don't know if you saw it, but we posted some um, some stuff about it on our social media. We had some conversation going. Lamelo Ball's ninety-two point performance, amazing or overrated? I think it's overrated. I think it's cool that you can get ninety-two points as a fifteen-year-old on varsity. That's cool, but you were cherry picking the whole entire time. And apparently, they do this from time to time against teams that suck. Uh, they'll just pick one player and they just have them cherry pick the whole time. Obviously, they haven't got close to 90, or else, you know, we'd have some other stories more frequently. But how does someone on the other team just not knock him out? You go up for that layup, well, you're getting that, the forearm to the forehead. But that 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 was my that was my argument for this because a lot of people are saying um, this is despicable, this is ridiculous, unbelievable, not how you play basketball, um, cherry-picking is not, is not honorable, this and that. My point is, is if I stand halfway 
at half court or farther, and I get a wide open pass, why shouldn't I or why wouldn't I keep doing that? It's on, to me, it's on the other team for not stopping him. Why didn't the defense do anything? Why didn't they have someone stay back the whole time with him, just like four and four on the other side uh, until he comes back? Right. There was no defense played. I think the game went over uh, close to 300 points, like 270 total. Yeah, it was like 140-something to almost 130-something. Yeah, so there was no defense at all. But here's the thing. He dedicated his performance to a friend of his in the hospital. And so they fed him the ball based upon reports that I saw to honor his friend. And so that was part of the Mm. deal. So very cool that he's able to put up a 92-point performance in part of his friends in the hospital. That That is cool. Um, current Knicks situation. Is it tarnishing Phil Jackson's legacy? Yes. Uh, I don't think many people – Popovich is the greatest coach of all time, and I think a lot of people had, you know, is it him, Phil, Red Arbach? I think Phil's slipping down – in a lot of people's minds because of what's happening here. I just think his idea that the triangle is always going to work regardless of what era it is, is just ridiculous. Popovich has changed his game season to season, basically. And I know he's not a coach anymore, but I I think it does hurt him a little bit. So. Yeah. Number four. Tom Brady, Isaiah Thomas, after the Super Bowl, and told him it was his turn next. Agree or disagree? Is LeBron going to the Celtics? Because (laughs) no one in the East is going anywhere unless they have LeBron. Maybe he knows something's going to happen to LeBron. Tom Brady, if you know something's going to happen to LeBron, you got to tell us. Number five, the Heat have now won, the Miami Heat have now won 13 games in a row. Are they for real, and how far do you think they can go? I mean, all they're doing is ruining their draft stock. (laughs) They're going to be a lottery team that's going to be at the end of the lottery. Congratulations on your 13 wins. You get a middle of the pick, middle of the draft pick, and Still no one wants to go there. Congrats. Yeah, I mean, they've beaten some mediocre teams on this run. But, um, you know, they've beaten some good teams, too. They beat Milwaukee the other night. Um, Is Milwaukee good? uh, I think Milwaukee's decent. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, they're they're an okay team. I mean, they're not a, a cupcake team. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they, they've lost Javari Parker for the season, which is a huge blow to them. They got Chris Middleton back. I don't know um, how much of a trade-off that's going to be, but that's too bad. They they made a weird trade to bring in two more bigs into their already clouded rotation. Um, yeah. So it's just weird. interesting to see what they're, what they're doing there. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Sixth and final question. I'm going to add one on you. I just thought of it. 
does at this point in the year, if you were going to give out NBA MVP, does Isaiah Thomas win the award? Ooh, good question. Uh, oh, I don't think he does. Damn, that's a good question. I think he – I'd put him at number three. I'd put him – I'd put Harden and LeBron one and two, regardless. I don't care which way you do it. I'd put IT at number three, and then I'd put Russ at number four. And for people that – think I'm crazy for putting a guy who's averaging a triple-double at number four. Uh, the team record is the thing. And Boston, last time I checked, was number two in the East. And I don't think since the 70s, someone who wasn't the one or two seed has won an MVP. So if you're not a one or two seed, you're not going to get the MVP. Um, maybe it was the 80s. but Either way, it's not going to happen. Um, Oscar Robinson, when he got his Triple double. He was number like four in MVP voting. So, yeah. But I, I think the way that IT is playing, especially in the fourth quarter, his fourth quarters are ridiculous. Um, I put it at number three. Okay, number three. And one more thing I'd like to comment on. How about Draymond Green last night? First player since Alvin Robinson in 1985 to have 10 assists, 10 rebounds, and 10 steals in one game. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Greatest and he only ended up with four time. points. <laughs> no doubt. And he, only, and, he only, and he only ended up with four points. That's what's crazy about it. Triple-double with four points. Yeah. Imagine if he went to a different team, how bad he would be. It would be interesting to see, wouldn't it? If he if he if he played for another franchise, um, you know, would he be more involved in the scoring though? So it's hard to say. I mean, he's not a great scorer by any means, but he can score. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think he's in the perfect situation where he's at. Yep. Yes. All right, that's gonna wind down. We got about. A little under five minutes remaining. We're going to hurry up and plug a couple things. We're on Twitter at Coach and Cole. Give us a follow. I'm on Twitter at Coach037. Cole's on Twitter at ThatKingCole715. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach and Cole. Please participate in the greatest quarterback of all time listeners tournament. Get your votes in. You can vote twice. You can vote on Twitter and you can vote on Facebook. If you filled out a bracket, You've got a chance to win a Coach and Cole t-shirt. So hopefully uh, you're able to do that. Um, again, if you haven't seen my article on Tweet, Tweet Geeks on Tom Brady, check her out. We have retweeted. Go to TweetGeeks.com. Look for my future articles, other projects going on. Just check us out on social media. Subscribe to us on iTunes. If you don't have an Apple product, you can subscribe to our show on TuneIn and listen to us on demand whenever you'd like. Tune in. Search the app. Download it. Search Coach and Cole. Subscribe to us there. You can listen to every show, past or present, on both of those formats. And, Cole, we're getting ready to sign on off here. We're live on Blog Talk Radio. Anything you want to say before we pull the plug? Nah, you covered it. Got it covered? Yeah, you did a good job. Also, I think my, we got a second here. Uh, if you're not on FanDuel, 
check out our partner FanDuel. Uh, go, we just retweeted that link. It's on Twitter. Click the link. Sign up. Ten bucks is all you need. Give it a shot. Who knows? You could win a million dollars someday on FanDuel. Anything that you uh, that you submit, if you go to through our link, they're going to kick us back some money to help out the show. We'd we'd really appreciate it. We thank everyone for listening. And uh, we're going to monitor the, this uh, Charles Oakley situation going forward because I think there's more more to happen, more to come there. And we're gonna we're excited because. The second round, the Sweet 16 of the Coach and Cole Greatest Quarterback of All Time Listeners Contest continues today. So look for that and get get on your social media and vote. Twitter, Facebook, you know what to do. We are getting ready to get the heck out of here. Thank you for everyone who listened. This has been the Coach and Cole Show. I'm the coach. And I am Cole. Have a good day. Enjoy your weekend. Valentine's Day is around the corner. Don't forget the flowers. Don't forget the chocolate. Don't forget it. (laughs) Otherwise, you're screwed.